Welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks. It's March 23rd, and we are here with Season 1, Episode 6, Respect James Brown, AJM, and Chuck Berry's Back to the Future, PLL, Piedmont Lithium, and also Ioneer. Growing up, I was a big fan of The Jetsons, a show from the late 1960s, a time when the United States was producing nearly 100% of the world's lithium. From this episode onwards, I'm going to start talking about Jane and George battery pack instead of Jane and Joe. And we'll also draw a parallel to another favorite, the Flintstones, where Fred Flintstone worked in a quarry, similar to a hard rock lithium mine. I see a future where the United States has leadership both in electric vehicle production, but also hard rock lithium mining and chemical processing. So I think we're going to go back to the future. Lithium-fueled electric cars, flying cars, from made in the USA, lithium-rich hard rock. It's uh, great to visit Piedmont and uh, see, you know, the home of lithium has been in the USA. I was very impressed. It was good to meet the team uh, and see the uh, the core shack. I thought uh, that the management team is good, but a special shout out to Patrick Brindle, who I thought I had, a, had an excellent understanding and handle on the project as a whole. For my mind, uh, I like what I saw, and I'll be writing up on that in the near future and and publishing a an open note. With Ioneer, of course, you joined me there. I had originally uh, had limited uh, knowledge of the project. It had run up hard. It touched a 600 million market cap at one point, which seemed high for anything that was still in the exploration development phase. But now, having visited the site again and seeing the material that they're working with and the chemistry and how well uh, that uh, material is likely to leach. It's, it's another project that I was impressed with. What did you think? Well, I'd been to Piedmont a number of times, so I'm glad to hear an independent assessment uh, the reaffirming uh, the quality of that project and the management team. Ioneer, I was very impressed with. First and foremost, it's a boron project, and uh, the boron market dynamics I was not super aware of, but the more I've researched it, I, I see it's a essentially a duopoly um, with Rio Tinto and the Turkish government and a few mines there. And the Rio Tinto mine in California seems to only have a 10-year mine life. It's not particularly low cost anymore. So from a offtake partner, I've been very focused on lithium offtakes, but uh, consumers of lithium are also consumers of boron. And whereas lithium offtakers have any number of projects that they're in dialogue with lithium developers for in the boron space, it's uh, much more limited. And it, 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 so I, I see there's a very good potential opportunity for Ioneer to secure boron offtake to help finance the project, which is, according to them, I think 40% boron and 60% you know, lithium revenue based on uh, you know relatively conservative estimates. But uh, I was impressed by... Uh, your analysis of the deposit and how it differs from, you know, traditional clay. Uh, um, Ioneer has often been put in this kind of, you know, not brine, not hard rock, 
you know, but the other category, and the other category is often not properly analyzed. But uh, it very much is not a clay. It's a searless site. And I remember Bernard showing us uh, taking, you know, and actually they have a fair bit of clay, which they're stockpiling, but it's more their searless site, which is closer to hard rock. And he, he gave an example where he put the searless site in water and he put the clay in water, the clay dissolved and the hard rock uh, did not dissolve. And that is key and a differentiator to their project in that once it's dissolved in clay, it's very hard to separate the material, you know, the lithium and the boron, you know, from that liquid, whereas the leaching process, as you articulated, of the harder rock is is a more plain vanilla traditional you know been done before process yeah i think uh, you know that's that's a good overview and i think having been uh, to the project i'd say that uh the things to watch now is less so in terms of the the chemistry and the processing and in the permitting and now more a question of securing offtake or, you know, securing the necessary funding because it is going to require a fairly substantial amount of capex. But again, if you look at the board, Alan Davies and some of the others, long history in Boron, very experienced ex-Rio. So, yeah, I definitely came away uh, with, uh, with a good view as I did uh, with Piedmont. So, you know, nice to see two projects in America that... Uh, a country with very limited supply, you know, with hope out there uh, to uh, to change that in the future. What did you think about the, I guess, business regulatory tax uh, environment of uh, the U.S. versus some other jurisdictions? Yeah, we, we, we had that discussion. Uh, I mean, if you compare it to something like Argentina, where in certain provinces they have free carry, uh, where there's an export tax and then a 35% income tax, a lot of people assess these projects on their technical merits and on their EBITDA, but actually one should really look ultimately at after-tax cash flow, free cash flow. And in the States, for example, with Piedmont, there's no royalties. Um, there's certainly no free carries. You know, you've got a, sta a, a federal tax at about 21% and then a state tax, I think, at 2%. But then there is a depletion allowance that's allowed on on resources that takes their effective tax rate back down to around 15%. So on, a, on, a, on an apples to apples versus 35% in Argentina plus the export tax, et cetera, et cetera, there's a big difference. Uh, and I think uh, once these projects, if they go into production, that becomes a very relevant factor in terms of uh, genuine after-tax cash flow. So uh, that's what ultimately pays dividends. EBITDA doesn't pay dividends. To be continued, look forward very much, uh, Rodney, to your, uh, I guess, written analysis. Would invite uh, all listeners here to, we're going to give a little bit of an advertisement for the Lithium Ion Rocks, Lithium Ion Bull, RK Equity, you know, Rodney Hooper. We, uh, in addition to uh, putting out a lot of this uh, free information, do have a regular business of advisory analysis. We started to do a couple of expert calls with hedge funds who are telling us they're they're very much interested in in hearing uh, different voices. Um, and uh, the the work that we've put in the public domain has 
has, has garnered that. So anyone out there listening, we're very uh, easily accessible on LinkedIn. Please feel free to reach out to Rodney or me, and we can uh, have direct dialogue. have James Brown from Altura Mining with us. Uh, very proud to have James here, having just announced a second upsize to his SPP plan. They started at five, went to 10, and now $14 million, and also declared commercial production after uh, earlier this year, having had a, you know, a, a shortfall um, in financing due to some production, small production hiccup, which, uh, James, you can, you can explain. But I think you, you raised $23 million um, in the institutional tranche, and you went out for $28 million. So there was a shortfall there, but a big uptick in the SPP. So, so what happened um, that there was the shortfall in, in the institutional tranche and, and, and such a big uptick from your existing shareholders? Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, thanks for having me on the podcast. I think probably break it into two two facets. There, we were looking at obviously additional gap funding uh, as we pushed through the ramp up, which, which has been very successful. But obviously, we'll putting in the reasons uh, in regards to to cargoes and shipments that that, that, that uh, push you in these positions. But um, we we had a medium sized ability to to look at uh, how much we we're going to raise, and we were looking at. Around 28 million in total, and we included the uh, what we thought was was a fair way for uh, our participants, our shareholders, and been very loyal to to engage with us and have the same deal. So we we set aside five million of that. So we we really looked at the, um, the 23 to 24, which is which was the target, and and hopefully uh, capping the 30 million range with inclusive of the uh, of the full take up of the five million of the SDP. So. So uh, we had hoped that that would, would be well received. Um, it was, but in like anything, uh, often people will, will wait until the latter part of the, the event in order to, to commit to, to what's happening. And there's obviously a lot of ups and downs in the markets as we go through through the ramp up and, and, uh, and certainly the lithium industry in the whole is subject to the highs and lows of thoughts at the general time. So uh, we were able to... Um, the uh, able to get a feel funny last week as to where the SDP sat and it became very evident that we needed to raise it. Uh, we were considering maybe going to $7 million, uh, from where they, where they were uh, sitting above the five. Uh, in the ensuing couple of days, it became evident that 10 would be, uh, be required to fit everyone under the umbrella and, and as soon as we made that call, uh, immediately after that, it looked like 14 was a reasonable amount, which we chose to to uh, to cap it at, which is the, the limit of our um, and our placement of shares at the moment. I recall, James, in October 2017, I was involved with you in raising the full funding, uh, $28 million equity placement, which was done at $0.19. Cents, and here you are raising money at $0.13 cents with a half warrant. At twenty cents, using Black Shoals, it's equivalent of a ten cent issue, fifty percent, you know, approximately down from fifteen months ago. In an environment where the need for your product is even greater than it was then, 
And again, that October 2017 issue, those investors who came into the placement doubled their money within about four months. If I did the math, I think you it was about 45 million U.S. dollars in total that you had an overrun uh, compared to your definitive feasibility study. You know, what happened there? I know you brought in Primero, but if you could just summarize uh, briefly uh, what happened and uh, where you are today and, and what we should expect over the next couple of quarters. Yeah, Howard, I think the numbers you included, I, I wouldn't consider them the, the overrun numbers. Obviously, the, the numbers closer probably to, to 20, over the $170 million build. Uh, there's a lot of variance in that. And I think uh, one of the things, if you look at it historically, uh, we were commencing construction, and I think, as you were, as you alluded, you were well um, involved in, in assisting us with our, with our funding package was the fact that we commenced construction with a partially complete funding package. We had equity from one of our partners. Uh, we'd raised some additional cash before that in 2016. So we were, we were looking at, at somewhere around the $60 million uh, cash commitment to commence the mining uh, process and, and also the, the construction of the plant at, at Pilgungura uh, in 2017. So... In order to maintain momentum, we decided we would commit to that whilst we sought the remainder of the funding package, which left us with the with the debt package, the component of the original $110 million, uh, US uh, through our three loan note holders. Uh, in essence, because of the way that the, the package was funded, we weren't able to fully uh, have an, an EPCM, let's say, for the entire project. So in order to keep momentum moving, we had to break the packages down into smaller packages and and manage that through both ourselves and supplementary uh, supplementary technical groups moving forward. So, um, in essence, uh, when you look at the, the the project as it moved along, it moved along very closely and very uh, very uh, adherent to the plan that we'd set. It wasn't evident until May and, and June last year that, that uh, some of the items and some of the more technical items, including the electrical, were taking far longer to to, um, to complete, and we'd already already committed to uh, a plan to accelerate our DMS so that we had production coming and cash flow moving forward. But in essence, um, the overruns are essentially people. So the Pilbara is an expensive place to operate. Uh, we required more people there for longer in order to do the same in a job we estimated the year before. Uh, it's not unusual. It's unusual for us. We were disappointed that we had some delays in there. Uh, the fact is that I suppose we're buoyed on the other side of the fact that we were able to achieve uh, commercial grade material coming out from day one from the plant. So we really had no doubt that the process plant works. It's a matter of the complexity of some of the tasks that were, that were at hand that both the, the suppliers and the company were, were uh, not prepared for or uh, certainly unaware that there was going to be some delays until very, very late in the build. And I think that uh, keys into your question, why do we not raise money earlier? Uh, there was no significant need or anything evident at that point in time that that was about to happen. So in often these cases, uh, you won't see uh, evidence of, of when you're going to finish the overrun or, uh, or how much that, that overrun will potentially cost uh, in order to deliver the project. So we pushed on and we had to do what we did. And uh, tell me, uh, James, now that you've uh, reached commercial production, 
The uh, quality of the material is uh, still very much as before with SC6 and limited impurities. Is that fair to say? Yes, correct. Uh, I think looking at the running the two, the, the way we have the advanced, uh, say, completion of our, our, our course through our DNS circuits, uh, certain providers with uh, above grade 6%, as we reported, uh, our, our iron content uh, well below 1%. And, and pleasingly for us, one of the most problematic, uh, I think a lot of people get, get uh, caught up in impurities, but one of the things that converters don't like is micro content. And we've got proprietary uh, um, uh, property in, in our classification circuits, but we've been very, very effective in removing mica to the point that our, um, our shipments are averaging less than 0.85% mica and even lower. So uh, so that's been very pleasing. So we, we have no problems. The, the risk of not producing material that is considered a premium or at least in line with SEC's guidelines is, is, is removed. And uh, now that uh, you're on track, uh, can uh, investors expect uh, you to be reaching nameplate or target for uh, Q2? Uh, that's the plan, Robbie. Yes, I think um, we've exceeded our obviously daily and weekly limits to, to, to uh, production output to, to conform with our nameplate of, of around 18,000 tonnes per month, which equates to roughly around 220,000 tonnes of FC6 annually. Uh, we're tracking towards that. I think there's, there's a definite pathway uh, to getting to that point at 100% every day of the week. Uh, we've been uh, moving some, uh, making some changes as we go through from construction to production, and I think um, certainly we've been uh, able to, uh, let's say, tap into the existing knowledge pool. Uh, obviously, we've got, uh, I believe, a, a good working relationship with our neighbours at at Pilbara Minerals, and, and certainly we've had people from our, our technical suppliers that have been on both sides. We're mining the same ore body and all for all intents and purposes. Uh, we've been using uh, great support from DRA and Minovo, uh, working under the same umbrella company at the moment under DRA. Uh, we've engaged Primero more recently. Primero's primary task is to is to bring in a, a robust uh, preventative maintenance plan now for operations. Obviously, be very familiar with with lithium and and lithium processing, particularly in Western Australia. So, uh, bringing Cameron Henry's team on board has been has been pleasing. Now that they've, they've got uh, some some uh, significant artists to put their teeth into, uh, certainly they, the uh, their on-site presence is is certainly valuable to the team and, and allowing them not only to to uh, bring the plan into 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 force, but but also um, they're able to bring in uh, a modification team that allows our existing on-site team to continue with processing material for sale, uh, whereas with Primero are able there to provide modification support and maintenance support for any other tweaking we need to do to the plant. So, um, yeah, very confident that we're, we're getting out of any of those levels in the near future. That's great to hear. And uh, just from your offtake partner perspective, everything going fine with your, your various offtakers? Yeah, at present, uh, we've been able to place all the material that we've been able to produce, and, and uh, I think uh, Ganson coming on board in, in on the 8th of November was was great for the company. Uh, they've, they've been testing the material and processing the material, but the feedback is positive. I believe um, they they have a, an option to increase their, their tonnage in 2019, and we believe that. 
that will be uh, taken to a, a larger number than, than where we sit at the minimum delivery of 70,000 tonnes per annum. Uh, Lineagy, our other partner, they've been taking their cargoes as allocated. Uh, their, their, their plant is, is, is not complete to, to process it internally, but they've got uh, some substantial and, and, and uh, let's say, uh, validated arrangements for processing material elsewhere in China. So, so that's been that's been very good. Uh, we haven't sold a cargo to JNR, Optimum Energy, the other partner yet. We have reduced their commitment down to fifty thousand tonnes in two thousand and nineteen. Uh, to be frank, we haven't had a cargo there to to supply, but um, they're presently not in position to take that. But we don't see that as uh, being uh, very problematic at this point in time. Okay, great. And I guess the uh, key question that everyone would uh, like to hear from you because. We have various inputs across the market, but as a supplier of quality material meeting specs in terms of grade and impurities, uh, how are you seeing uh, pricing uh, currently and, and going forward, say, for the next quarter? Yeah, that's a good one, Rodney. Uh, the, 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 the most people are keen on working with the pricing trends are. There's obviously the, the impact of, of having uh, new supply to the market. Uh, Tawana obviously first in 2018, uh, probably in ourselves almost simultaneously in, in the latter part of 2018, uh, brings new supply and, and into the market in, in both the last quarter of 18 and obviously the first quarter of 19 and onwards. The, the, we reported our, our contracted price average for the December quarter was $722 US on a CFR basis. Um, that seemed pretty normal in the market. Uh, we've obviously seen some retrace on that to where we sit. Uh, we've got one, one of our offtake agreements is, in, is a, uh, is a formula based contract with, with our partners GAN fund. Uh, it's really black and white as to where it delivers, but it's, it's weighted on the, on the pricing of carbonate and, and hydroxide, so uh, it's it's fairly fairly easy to track. Um, outside of that, we're seeing offers, and, and certainly outside of existing offtake partners, offers in the 600. So um, I would see it coming from the from the low to mid 600 US in the coming quarter and beyond. I'd actually uh, continuing decline. I think we're probably. We'll probably hit a, a bit of a floor and I see where the market is at the moment. I mean, the, the price of domestic uh, Chinese carbonate within carbonate it seems to have plateaued and, and I think that's um, going to be supported by potentially what, what could be seen as a, a slightly diminished supply coming out of South America uh, following the rain event in uh, recent months. Yeah, that's 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 good intel. Thanks. And uh as you're heading towards uh, reaching your targets uh, in terms of production uh, and you don't have any interest payments due until uh, the second half of the year, would it be fair to say that you'd be looking at making some fairly decent cash flow in Q2? I think if we, we're, we're very much tracking and, and cognizant um, the way that I've been brought up in, in, in my mind career is looking at costs. Um, there's certain amounts of revenue that we, we can bother about, uh, and that's purely from the perspective of delivering uh, product that's on spec or, in, in, or above spec specification in regards to pricing. But costs will drive me personally. Most of the groups will monitor that very closely, uh, albeit that we, we announced commercial production uh, last week, 
the fact is that we, we've also been mining at a rate which is equivalent to nameplate. Um, those costs are tracking very, very well against the DFS. Our process costs, excluding some extraordinary items in regards to any any um, minor commissioning uh, costs that now excluded uh, are tracking reasonably well. I think there's something we can work on there. And, you know, the, the unit costs in regards to the hauling and, and storing and loading our product on the vessel are uh, cost of done basis, so they're, they're tracking well. And, and we, we're pretty confident that once we get sufficient tonnes out, uh, that our costs will be amortised over, over that tonnage and, and track very closely to the DFS forecast. Roddy was mentioning the debt. Uh, I think that was uh, originally a three-year term. Is that correct? And is that something that um, you know you might seek to refinance in the coming year? Uh, and what about uh, plans for stage two? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, probably break it into two parts, but I think they're totally interrelated. Um, Howard. Yeah, the, the original um, debt facility was put in place in, in around August 2017 to allow us to uh, maintain momentum and, and to build. And we've had uh, our loan that holds been very supportive of us and be intimately involved in regards to the, the, the happenings in the day-to-day operations of, of where we're at to remain comfortable that we're meeting our targets. Uh, there's no doubt that at that time when we, we had uh, when we uh, acquired the, the uh, funding package or completed it that um, you know it was high risk profile. It was obviously the, the lithium market's fairly opaque. Uh, the its construction risk, there's obviously project execution risk ramp up. Uh, the fact that we could have the, the quality that we had was was still subjective at that point in time, so we end up in a, in a high financing situation commensurate to the risk profile that it presents. Um, we have uh, can maintain discussions with our financiers. They're well aware that we uh, would intend to, to replace that instrument or renegotiate or, or uh, look at alternatives in regards to bringing that into line now that we've reduced a significant amount of that risk uh, moving forward. So, as I said, they're, they're very well um, involved in the process and we certainly don't uh, want to seem ungrateful, but we need to look at our shareholders and, and look at something that that is more amenable to, to having a, a project with, with sustainable cash flows and margins, as, as Rodney alluded to before. So, um, in saying that, Howard, we've, we've gone down a path both with our existing loan note holders and and with other parties uh, significantly over the last uh, six to seven months, looking at, at what type of structures may be in place, what participants we could work with, including the existing loan note holders. Uh, but one of the key triggers to that is achieving the production rates that we're at at the moment. So that very much unlocks the next stage of process and we're trying to conclude an instrument that we'd hope by the middle of this year would be uh, more amenable to an operation that's got sustainable positive cash flows. So that's the first part of the, the question. Now, the, the second part's in relation to stage two. Uh, simultaneously, while that's going on, we're obviously very cognizant of, of the need to, to pin down stage two or stage two expansion. Uh, as I might have said earlier on, Gantan do have an option under the existing uptake agreement 
Uh, the rights to 50% of that, uh, the majority coming from stage two. Uh, we don't believe in our recent discussions, we met them the week before last, uh, that that right would not be exercised there, that they're keen to, to maintain the diversification of their, their raw material supplies. Um, how we fund that is, is probably a discussion that, that's ongoing between ourselves and Gansung. I think if anyone, there's no market secret that Gansung are very, very um, usually interested in, in taking equity stakes in, in companies that, that have significant off-tack arrangements with them. It certainly leaves us with uh, the remaining uh, shortfall of stage two to allocate to, to other parties and and whether the same funding options we believe that would be the parties we're talking to would be interested in doing the same. As to whether there is any further debt uh, extension or it depends on how the makeup of debt to potentially prepayment versus equity uh, balance looks. So, so that's the part that's really uh, crucial. I think the decision to proceed to with stage two is more fundamental on the offtake. We'll obviously uh, hit the targets with commercial production. They're quite confident that that uh, stage two uh, exercise an infrastructure plan and plant works uh, really well for us. So we'll, we'll continue on that part and we'll, um, let's say, uh, declutter uh, the, the stage two offtake situation in, in the coming months. A couple more questions. Exploration, what your thoughts are on consolidation in the industry and in particular, potentially, you know, within Western Australia? Uh, let's do the consolidation first. So I think uh, we've seen that, Howard, and, and, and it's probably pertinent you raised it because it, it is showing uh, in recent times that there is some alliances being formed. Uh, I think particularly one of the things that became very interesting to us as, as hardware producers was the investment from traditional brine producers into into hard rock, and I think we've seen that in Kidman. I know how we did a lot of work with the team at Kidman with SPN coming in, in into that group. Uh, you've seen Albemarle now, the transaction with Minimum Resources seems, seems a, a, great, a great deal of the parties involved there, and it's certainly looking at the, the movement towards onshore processing, which is probably another topic. So I think um, as a whole, the there's, a, there's an opportunity for for the right consolidation to work for, for all parties. Uh, I think certainly um, you know, we're, we're obviously one of the smaller groups, although the output of the equivalent of 30,000 tonnes LTE uh, is, is not insignificant in the world market. It's a reasonable chunk, but we're, we're a small entity. Uh, in saying that, uh, you know, we, we're just working on the, the way we normally do, but I think the stronger groups particularly seem to be made, to me are the, are the groups that, that have access to both brines and they have access to, to hard rock and I, I think I like spoke to Rodney earlier, certainly access to participation in the, in the uh, value-adding downstream chain. So, so I think you know, the, the, the deal makers that can put that together, whether it be the companies themselves or external entities to, to match up people, I, I don't think we've seen the last of it at this point in time. The overall region and the exploration upside. We've got uh, sitting on around 50 million tons of resources there, which we've converted roughly around 80 percent to mineable reserves. We've been looking particularly within the, the existing mining area, so obviously challenging ourselves to try and uh, try and uh, garnish the hanging fruit, so to speak, for, for exploration. So we'll continue on in 2019. 
there's some areas both in the pit itself that need further delineation and also immediately south of the pit uh, in the main mining area that really provide us with that uh, bank for a back exploration. But outside of that, we've got some very attractive tenement packages both to the west and to the north and also to the east. And the east is yielding sort of more significant gold and copper results than lithium. However, we, we still believe that there is a significant upside potential in the tenement package we do have. Uh, and we'll be looking at that as well as we, as we move forward. And I think we discussed previously that you know exploration costs are pretty high. Um, we've got um, we've got around 25 years of mine life under stage one uh, production levels, and at around 16 at the moment that we're looking at uh, under the reserve base for, for stage two. So there's a reasonably long mine life there, and I think that's that's probably pertinent talking in relation to offtake partners. Um, most of the groups that we are talking to are fairly adamant that we're looking for a, a longer mine life or and longer term offtake agreements. You know, it used to be three to five years. I think ten years is going to be the normal, or ten years to life of mine from our our um, our interactions in the last twelve to eighteen months. So it is important that we keep that inventory level up in the immediate pit, and it also means that we need to be uh, paying attention to what's what's outside the area and the potential upside, particularly to the north. So um, we'll continue on that path. Besides that, we're always going to look out for, for areas uh, that we can acquire so that won't that process we've got a team that are dedicated to, to looking at our exploration upside and our exploration activities, and we'll continue to do so. And just for uh, Pulgangura as a whole, do you think it's quite a prospective area? I think it's getting fairly well delineated, Robbie. I mean, we know, uh, particularly in, 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 the, in the mining area in the Southern Ridge that I was alluding to before, we, we know the significant intercepts we've reported previously there. And it's not uncommon to find, you know, 20 to 60 metre uh, intervals in that area. Uh, one important part that we're working with uh, our friends at Pilbara Minerals is how we, how we um, can jointly mine material that would otherwise be sterilised along the boundary. So that's a focus between our two groups. So we have a good working association between the two to make sure we maximise resource and coverage for both parties. Uh, that's that's certainly the attractant for that area. To the north, we've certainly, at, at um, our entire deposit, has yielded some fairly good grade and some fairly significantly thick intercepts that we need to track structurally to see how that fits. And there's no surprise there because it's immediately adjacent to Pilbara's monster pit area. So uh, there's more there, but as I say, you know, we're, we're focused on, on delivering uh, the key priorities to deliver the project and the project parameters around cost and revenue in order to maintain these programs. But uh, as a group, fundamentally, the board like to put dollars in the ground, and I think that's that's good for any company. We're not, we do not hesitate in regards to exploration programs, but we like to do them and, and look at risk and reward in regards to uh, how that is going to figure in structurally to adding to our inventory annually. James, if I could uh, just switch gears a little bit and to talk about your capital structure, share ownership, uh, it was very notable that Alan Buckler put in, I think, $15 million into that raise. Um, I don't know him, but uh, what's his background? What's the nature of the, you know, the, I understand from you that the share register is relatively tight. 
And if you could also just speak about um, your background uh, a little bit, because not everybody who's listening to this podcast has, you know, the familiarity uh, of yourself, um, you know, relative to some of the other lithium producers out there. So I've got a background in coal mining. Uh, that's where I was, like, immensely in the mining industry in the early 80s. Uh, if you split up the two, probably the areas the board, particularly Altura, we've, we've had a working relationship and interacted before previously in our, in our other mining lives. So you, you are seeing the board, which is good, bad, or worse. Uh, we're mining people, and that's what we know. Uh, and, and we're able to... to um, to take an approach to every project we looked at, we look at. Uh, we're not here to, to ramp it and, and move it on. We're we're here to mine and operate. That's the way we view each project, I and mean, we're quite pragmatic about that. Um, so I started in the early eighties in, in uh, a little town. I was born in Ipswich, outside of Brisbane, uh, to a family of coal miners, and commenced with a company called New Hope Corporation uh, in Ipswich in, in nineteen eighty two, and. Uh, Worked my way through uh, mine planning roles in, within that company, and, and my the guy that hired me, the person that hired me uh, in 1982 was Alan Buckler, who's now our, will become our largest shareholder again uh, post the the, uh, the EGM, the positive outcome of the EGM uh, this coming Friday in, in Perth. So, so most of the board we, we've we've interacted over a number of years. Uh, we've gone our separate ways on the occasions and come back and and. Certainly, we've taken an approach that Altura needs to be a company that, that uh, is in production and is got sustainable cash flows. And I think we demonstrated that with our maintaining our, our equity record back into the Mount Weber Iron Ore project in in 2009, uh, at a point where um, you know the iron ore was was becoming extremely extremely topical. So we've always looked at cash flow operations. But as I said, I started in coal and and have had a on history in coal and some other commodities, but certainly Tulangora was born from born from a board that sat down one evening and, and looked at all the all the potential tenements that we had or could acquire over a period of time, and we we're focusing on new energy materials, particularly rare earth elements and lithium. And uh, as I said, we, we sent a team to Tulangora in 2009, uh, picked up a rock chip sample that contained I think 5.5% lithium oxide. Uh, within two years, we completed uh, the, uh, a jork resource in excess of 25 million tonnes of scoping study in 2013 and, and mine commencement in 2017. So our approach hasn't changed. Um, regarding the question of Alan, Alan, as I said, we've we, um, been working together for, for a number of years and, and different commodities, particularly uh, coal. Uh, Alan and I worked on, on some projects, as did most of the board in Indonesia. Uh, a period from the, from the uh, later 80s to, to more recent, to around 2005. Uh, and I've lived in Indonesia for 11 years uh, over the period of time, so we've, we've come to know each other. Alan's been a big supporter of us as a group and, and the company as a whole. He believes in the strategy uh, that we're following, and, and he's always been uh, a quiet supporter of the company. Um, he saw... Uh, where, we were, where, we, where we needed some funding and, and looking at some funding and, and um, you know, although he likes to keep a very low profile, um, he was the first one to say, look, I'll, I'll be able to cornerstone this and, and, um, and hopefully that'll make it successful and, and that's what happened. 
That sounds great. And uh, it sounds like uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here, but uh, look very much forward to uh, hopefully some cash flow in, in Q2 and Q3 now that uh, you seem to have worked out all of the all of the kinks in stage one. So thanks very much, James, and uh, look forward to following your progress. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Ron. Lithium Ion Rocks, Lithium Ion Bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers. 